0: Hey guys, I'm Mike, one of the leaders here at the church, and so if you're new with us today, like Michelle said, uh, welcome, we're glad you're here. And uh, it's gonna be back, guys, I was in, like I said, I was in the West Bank this past week with Seth, Daniel, and Melanie, and uh, there's something so rich about being in the land where Jesus walked and was, and where he was born, where he ministered. Uh, if, you, if you ever come on a trip with me, uh, there is, you will sense this residue of the glory of God in that place. Uh, it's the only place in the world where Jesus, where, where Jesus walked. He stepped out of heaven into, into Bethlehem. And, and, and so it's just so amazing. It was so amazing to be there. It's already become like a second home. I woke up this morning, and I missed it. Uh, when we were there, though, it felt like we were there forever for, for a few months. And, and then we got back, and I was like, oh, I woke up to traffic and sirens and horns <laughs> blaring. And, and then we woke up to Toronto. And, and I love here, and I love our city. And it, what's so amazing is every time we're in Bethlehem, we meet somebody new who has a connection to Toronto. It's, it's amazing. So if you, if you travel much... Uh, Everywhere I've traveled in the world, I meet somebody that has a connection to Toronto. We're a global city. That's influence, and we need to wield that for the power of the gospel. That's that's the main reason, or one of the main reasons, we started this church, moved our family to Toronto, was because this is a city of influence, and our influence in this city disseminates and has an effect uh, throughout the entire world. And and we've felt that everywhere we've we've been, Missy and I. So um, it's great to be back. It's, it's great to be with you guys. I miss being with you guys. I missed uh, seeing you guys during the week. I missed um, all those things. So it's really good to be back. Um, wanna also highlight the new common. And guys, uh, we'll, we'll try to talk about this a lot more, but our space in St. Jamestown that, that we are leasing, that is a, a community engagement space, it's not a, it's not a church office space, it's not a, uh, actually it's not even called the church, right? It's branded totally different. It's, it has its own website, it has its own branding, it has its own uh, budget, it has its own everything. It's just, it's, just, uh, it's how we engage the city. So if you want to learn more about that, you can talk to me, you can talk to Seth, you can talk to any one of our leaders about what we're doing in St. Jamestown. It's such a beautiful thing. Things are rolling in there. Organizations are asking to use it. We're partnering with organizations, we're developing relationships, we're, we're just being the light and the love of Christ to our community here. And, and so light is coming into darkness and God is multiplying our, our small things into big things and it's really great. So in this series, we're in, we're in our series called Uprising. <clears throat> we're going through the book of Ephesians. We'll go through it to the end of the year actually. And, and each week is themed with rising something. And so this series is really designed for the church. Uh, The book of Ephesians is designed for the church. Paul is writing to the church in this book. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that doesn't mean it's not for you, but it just means that uh, you're looking at what the church is when, when we talk about this and what the church is actually meant to be. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning and you're not these things, it's time for you to rise up. And that's why we're calling this uh, uprising. It is, we've gone through our entire year with spiritual awakening through the book of Daniel, uh, spiritual formation through the Sermon on the Mount, spiritual gifts in the summer, and now spiritual warfare. And so you can see the theme there running through the entire year. And, and now it's time after we've, we've experienced those things for us to take our gifts, our awakening, and our formation and do something with it. So we've talked about rising hope, rising Something else, I remember last week, I wasn't here. What was last week? Anyone here last week? What was it? Peace. Peace, rising peace. That's good. That's good, right? And then today, we're talking about rising influence. Rising influence. Another word for influence is God's favor, rising favor. So um, keep that theme in your mind as, as you walk through the text this morning. Uh, the telescope is one of the greatest inventions of all time. Uh, if you look on any list of, of inventions, it'll be in the top five, and, and if I had asked you what, what would be the greatest inventions, you might not have put the telescope in there, but think about uh, what all comes from the telescope. I mean, it's, it's not just about the telescope itself, but optics and medical equipment, microscopes, glasses, binoculars, um, a, lot of, a lot of other things. We can go on and on of what comes from the development of the telescope, and this it was, it was invented most people think, in the early 1600s. Late 1500s, optics began being developed, early 1600s, this Dutch guy uh, asked for the first patent on the telescope. And then a, a year or two later, the person that makes the telescope famous and, and really <clears throat> popularizes it is Galileo. And he's the first one to use it for astronomy and, and to, look, to look at things that are so far away from us, so out of reach for us. And he takes this guy's invention which the guy who, who got the patent, he had like three times magnification. Galileo takes it to 30 times magnification. And he'd never even seen the telescope. He just heard the guy created it, and then he made his own and made it 30 times better. And, and so the telescope, like I said, is one of the greatest inventions of all time. I mean, you look on one list and it's, it's fire, wheel, I think the nail, <laughs> and the telescope. Uh, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to put something else above that with all that's come from it. So just to be clear this morning, this is how a telescope works, just in case. A telescope, you look through it on one end, and on the other end, it brings things close to you, things that are far away, things that are out of reach, things that appear small in the distance, it makes them large, and it brings them close to you. But what happens when you look through the other end of the telescope? when you flip it. It does the opposite, right? It takes things that are near, and it makes them appear far away. It takes things that are big, and it makes them appear tiny and small. It takes things that are in your reach, and it makes them appear like they're f- so far away you can't grab them. And this morning, some of you guys are looking through the wrong end of the telescope. See, God's given us all the same ability. He's given us all the same ability to have the same perspective. He's given us all the same tools to have that perspective. And some of you guys, you're not using it correctly. You've, you're looking through the telescope the wrong way. And so this morning, I want you to turn your telescopes around. Some of you guys walked in here this morning and God seems so distant. He seems so far away. He seemed like he, he's, he's not there for you. Some things in your life, uh, that seems so small, you, you can't see the significance of them through uh, the lens of Christ. You can't see how powerful they are in your life. And if we're gonna have to be a church, if you're gonna be a person, part of this church, where, where your influence is gonna rise, then you have to see God's favor in a new way this morning. So this is the bottom line for this morning we're gonna take throughout, is if you can magnify God's favor in the micro, the small things that seem so far away, then you can maximize God's influence in the macro, in the big things. And the simple statement to, to um, bring that down into is turn your telescope around this morning, okay? So, let's go into this passage. This is Ephesians chapter three. Paul has just gone on, he's just given this incredibly theologically rich passage in Ephesians one and two. And, and then he goes, he's about to go into a prayer. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he pauses the prayer and goes into more rich theology. He doesn't pick up the prayer until Ephesians 3.14. So we won't even get to the prayer that Paul started until next week. So pause on the prayer that Paul is praying over the church, and then he says all this theological stuff, but before he says that, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesians, he's in a prison in Rome. We were, we were in Jerusalem last week, and we went to the prison of Christ uh, there. Has anyone been there before? Besides those of you who were with me? Yeah, put your hand down. Uh, so this is, uh, is one of the most, uh, for, for you too, Daniel, right? This is one of the most uh, significant things, experiences for us on that trip, right? Um, and guys, we didn't just see the sights. We did, we did so much more than that. But we did see like, all these cool things. Um, the prison of Christ is right there in the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, it's just such a, it just brought to life what, what we read in the text and where Jesus, where Jesus was in prison and when he got arrested and all that. So, so and it gave us a picture of what, what Paul might have been like in Rome. And it's basically this, like, prisoners there, they're just in this pit. And they're shackled to the walls and things like that. So in Rome, though, um, many times a prisoner would be shackled to a guard. So you're not shackled to the wall, you're shackled to a Roman Praetorian guard. And, and you go where he goes and, and he goes where you go. And so Paul here has given us this imagery that he's not a prisoner to this Roman guard. He's not a prisoner to this, to, this, to this cell. He's not a prisoner to Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ. And so he's shackled to Christ. He's saying, I go where he goes. I speak what he speaks. I do what he does. And I'm, I'm with Christ, shackled to him. And, and this morning, many of you guys are shackled to something else. Are you a prisoner of Christ and for Christ? Or are you a prisoner to pornography? Are you a prisoner to success? Or you're a prisoner to that relationship that you you think, if I just had this relationship in my life, everything would be great. You're putting yourself in a prison. Being a prisoner of Christ actually sets you free. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God. That's what's amazing. So he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm no longer a prisoner to sin, I'm no longer a prisoner to success, I'm no longer a prisoner to anything over here, to this world, I'm a prisoner Of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, and then he says, assuming, and he goes through this, and he goes through a a couple big things. He he mentions mystery uh, three or four times through here. Mystery is not this. It's not how we think of mystery, like something something that we cannot grasp or fully understand. Paul says, no, I'm actually revealing something to you. That's that's the word mystery. I'm revealing something that's been hidden for ages, and I'm taking the blanket off of it so that, we, so that we can see it, I'm removing the veil. And so he mentions mystery through here, and he says this in verse six, he says this is the mystery. It's that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is us, guys. Anybody Jewish in here this morning? No, so we're all Gentiles, right? Okay, so the mystery is us. Like we, we are the fulfillment of this mystery, that we, us, are actually part of God's plan and purpose, that he has taken us and he's grafted us into his chosen people. That's, that's amazing. That's really... Uh, Paul says, this, this has been hidden, and I'm revealing this to us, and we're fulfilling that right now. And he says... Well, actually, b- before we get there, it's so, I mean, we, we read this and we're like, okay, what, what, does that, what does that mean for me? If that's true, what does, that, what does that mean as part of the church? How does that change how we understand the church this morning? How does that change how we view this community this morning? How we understand the family of God, the body of Christ, how we understand what we're, what, how we're a part of that body of Christ. How it, does it change that for us this morning? And, and I can, you know, we talked about that song earlier. You know, God restores what is broken. He brings light into the darkness. He gives light and life. And, and I can say those things over and over you to the, this morning. I do say them over and over to you. And, and you can still say, I don't know. I don't quite see that. You know, you're saying turn your telescope around, but I don't quite see how those things are in my grasp. You know, we talk about the peace of Christ. We talked about that last week. We talk about the love of God. We talk about um, uh, that we can have joy in the spirit. We talk about the abundant life that Christ has come to give us, and you're saying, yeah, I hear you. I'm just, I'm just not experiencing that. And how do we experience that? Remember, guys, the, the the primary battleground for spiritual warfare is not out there. It's in here. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. This is the primary battleground. So I don't know what else to tell you except you have to choose to believe. You have to choose to step forward in faith. You have to choose to say yes to the joy of the Spirit. You have to choose to say yes to the peace of Christ. You have to choose to say yes, I believe Jesus that you overcame and have rescued me from my sin. The problem is we choose to believe that he hasn't practically because you're still in the muck of your sin. You still get offended when, when somebody says something and it hurts your feelings. You still uh, argue with your spouse over the same thing you've been arguing about for the last 14 years. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's true and not true. <laughs> you still, like, we still do these things. And it's because we haven't chosen life. We've cho- we keep on choosing death. And it perpetuates itself in our relationships, in your workplace, in your homes in your relationships with with friends and family and, and co-workers. And it keeps on going. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12 not to be conformed to the world. And he says the way to do that is to be transformed through the power of the Spirit by the renewal of your mind. And it's only by the renewal of your mind that you will understand and know what God's will is, his holy, pleasing, acceptable will. It has to be in the renewal of your mind. You see, we're believing so many lies of the enemy that we don't know what's lie and truth anymore. Look, on this, on this um, banner stand here, you see temptation and darkness and brokenness and lies and suffering and affliction, and there's this cool effect on them that Dave put on there where it's, where it's escaping and it's going away. That only can be erased and go away when it's replaced with truth. We don't choose the truth. How many of you guys choose to read the truth in this word every day? How many of you guys put more of this truth in you than you put Netflix, than you put what your friends say about you, than you put how your coworkers view you, than you put how your boss talks to you? We choose those things instead of this. And we say, well, we can't understand this. Anselm, so, one of my favorite quotes from the church fathers is, is not, I understand in order to believe, it's, I believe in order to understand. You have to choose to believe first if you want to understand. You're never going to understand first. We have to choose to walk forward in faith first. Uh, he, the writer of Hebrews says this, we'll have it on the screen, he says this in, in chapter three. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you any evil, unbelieving heart. How many of us came in this morning with an unbelieving heart? He says, that's evil. That's not of God. An unbelieving heart is of the enemy. It's evil. And it leads you to fall away from the living God. So many of you walked in this place this morning, and you wouldn't have said this, but your attitude, your thoughts, your prayer life, uh, your devotional life is not a living God. It's a dead God. You want to worship an idol? Go and worship an idol. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You're worshiping a living God. Don't tell people you're, you're a Christian and follow Jesus if your God is not alive. Through you, working in you, forming you, using you. You're just giving the rest of us a bad name. If you wanna worship a dead God, there's so many of those out there. The writer of Hebrews says, we worship a living God. And this is how, this is, this is what we need to do, guys. We don't do this. Exhort one another, Every day, build one another up, push one another forward, call one another to action. That's what that word means. Every day, as long as it's called today, because we're not promised tomorrow, so as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. We've been tricked, and we've been hardened by it. And he says, we need to exhort one another daily. It has to happen here. Us, we have to do it for each other. That's what the the power of the community is. We get to exhort one another daily so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because because outside of here, there's so much deceitfulness. Verse 14, for we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We share in Christ as, as the body of Christ. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in a, in a second. Let's go back to the, the passage. <clears throat> Verse 7. He says, of this gospel, this gospel that we've just talked about, not a different gospel. A lot of us actually believe a different gospel. This good news. That's what this word means. He says, of this good news of this gospel, what I've just told you, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, uh, and then 1 through 6 in, in chapter 3. This gospel that I've just laid out for you, he says, I'm a minister of. Now, a lot of us are ministers of other gospels. We're ministers of the gospel of religion. We're ministers of gospel of do this, do this, do this, check, 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 don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, check, check, check. That is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's religion. Some of you guys, are instead of being the gospel of peace, instead of being the gospel of of a savior, of a rescuer, you're a gospel of condemnation. You preach the gospel of guilt, of shame, uh, not a gospel of redemption. You, instead of a gospel of peace, you preach the gospel of division. We're called to a different gospel. And Paul just laid that out. So of this gospel, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Look at Paul's humility throughout the next few verses. He has his telescope positioned in the right way. So look at his humility. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me. It was not, he didn't earn it, guys. He said, it was given to me. I had to accept it. It was a gift by the working of his power, not my own power, his power. To me, I'm the very least of all saints. Some of you guys are walking around this point, you think you're the very most of all saints, which means you're not even a saint at all. He says, I'm the very least of all saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." And then, he, and then he goes on in verses verses 9 through 11. He says, and these are the unsearchable riches. And this is, this is what it looks like. It's to bring light for everyone. The plan of the mystery hidden for all ages. Verse 10, so that through the church, through the church, through the church, The manifold wisdom, this is just a fancy word for like a rich variety of wisdom. So this rich variety of wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we've seen these two words before, rulers and authorities. And you can read over Ephesians and kind of not pick this up, but rulers and authorities, they refer to these heavenly powers. And when I say heavenly, I mean spiritual powers say when I say spiritual, I don't mean good. I mean evil. Paul is saying the rulers and authorities are evil powers. He's used this before back in verse, or chapter 1, verse 21. He says, when Christ was seated and uh, raised from the dead and, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, he was done so far above all rule and all authority. And in Ephesians chapter 6, at the end of the book, he says... Our battle, guys, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our battle, guys, is not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the authorities. It's much higher than you probably ever thought. That our battle is not here horizontally. It's against these rulers and authorities. So he says that here. We'll go back to that. And in verse 11, he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose, uh, the eternal purpose. I always enunciate eternal because it can sound like internal. I'm not talking about your internal purpose this morning. I'm talking about your eternal purpose, which is actually your internal purpose. Follow me? You like that? So um, your eternal purpose this morning, God has had a plan for you since the ages of time. Now, what I mean by that is not like, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? God, who am I supposed to marry? God, what am I supposed to study in school? Now, those things, yes, ask God about. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about something much more macro than that, okay? Okay. Um, but this eternal purpose, we all share. We all share in Christ Jesus. And it's this, that we belong in the community. He says, through the church, that's us, guys. That's not just Trinity Life Church, but all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. So we are partakers and sharers in the eternal purpose. And, that, and the eternal purpose is this, that we were always meant to be in perfect communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's Trinity life. Not Trinity life. The church, but Trinity life in the Trinity. It's life in the Trinity. It's what we call body life here at the church. It's sharing in the body of Christ together. You were meant for that. You were designed for that. And so much so that the church, our local expression, our local body of Christ, is your or should be, should be your prime community for living the one-another lifestyle. The church is the family of God. The church is your priority. This body of Christ is your priority. And and most of you sitting here this morning, you don't view the church that way. You don't view the family of God that way. You may view it as a worship service to come and sit in and then and, and leave, and yeah, you got pep talk or well, I don't know, whatever, and you feel better about your day, now you can go through the week. Um, if that's the case, you're missing so much about the eternal purpose. Some of you guys may say, oh, well, the church is designed for me to, to serve and to work in the, to serve with our city and to work alongside with our city. And yes, that's, that's true too. But if that's all, then you're missing so much about the community of faith, about the family of God. Some of you guys may say, well, this is just a great organization doing great things. I love social justice. I love volunteering, and, and this is so great, and I want to support the church because I agree with the morals and the values, blah, blah, blah. And that's that's good too, but if that's your reductionistic view of the body of Christ, then you're missing so much in the eternal purpose. And, and when I say this is your prime community, I mean when you want to live the one another lifestyle, forgive one another, love one another, exhort one another. Um, Come on, give me some more. There's like 70 of them. Uh, Shout them out. Uh, All these things, forgive one another. Did I say that? Love one another? I said that one too, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you want to live that life, this is where you live it. If you want to be this, guys, The church will never be the church if we don't have fully committed followers of Jesus who've committed to doing this together. You'll always say, "Uh, I don't know, the church is missing this. Oh, the church, yeah, I I don't have real relationships in the church. You'll say, yeah, I don't really have friends in the church. I just come because I like the music or I like... The preaching, or like what we do in the city, whatever it is. I've talked to people who've been with us for four years, and they still say, they still say hey, when you guys do this, or when, when you guys do that, instead of saying when we do this, when we do that, that's an indication that you don't view the church how Paul wants us to view the church. When you say, oh, how, is, how are you guys doing with the New Common? Oh, how are you guys doing with this? Oh, I didn't know you guys uh, did this. I didn't know you guys did that. That's an indication that you're not fully committed to the body of Christ. And if that's the case, you're going to miss out on the community of faith. This community is supposed to give us these things, exhort one another daily, all these one another's, to propel us to the world outside. Now, you can have a semblance of this with the world outside. You can have a semblance of this in your marriage. You can have a semblance of this with non-believing friends. You can have a semblance of this with your family. You can have a semblance of this with your, your co-working community. that And all those are good things. But your priority should be in the body of Christ here at the church that you've committed to because that is what's going to push you and propel you forward into those other spheres of influence. God has placed you in a sphere of influence, in many spheres of influence, and he wants that influence to rise he's given you favor there. And it'll it'll never fully rise if you don't fully understand where you are and how you're a part of the body of Christ here. It was designed, that you, you'll always look at this, this body of Christ as, as not as uh, deficient because you're focused on here. Focus on the body of Christ and Christ will be sufficient to push you into these other areas of influence because he's given those to you and those are valuable and, and he wants to use those in the kingdom of God but you need to commit to a body of Christ, whether it's here or another body of Christ, if you wanna experience the fullness of what God wants to give you. And and that's okay. You can be here and not fully commit, but you won't ever fully experience what God wants you to. And that's just the reality of it. And you might be okay with that. And if you are, we're still gonna love you, we're still gonna practice these one another's, but here's the reality you may not practice them with us. And I see this over and over, guys, in the church, especially in the Western church. We give, especially leaders of, of churches, give, 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 but there's no reciprocation because there's no there's no commitment. And, and generally in the church, leaders are committed and they're like, yes, we're going to do this together. Um, and then they're giving, giving, giving. And then you have leaders burn out. You have leaders leaving the church. You have leaders... Uh, like a a few leaders in the past in the recent past month committed suicide. I mean, leaders of churches. And and you have these sad stories because because there was no unity in the church. So Paul is saying here, that's us. We are the eternal purpose to have life in Christ Jesus. This is the church in trinity life, the life, life in the trinity, I should say, experiencing body life together. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. In the the passage previous to this, Paul says that when Jesus died on the cross, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So what was once there, this wall that was there separating us from each other, separating us from God, he tore it down. So many of you are building that wall back up we were in, like I said, we were in the West Bank. Every time I, you enter Bethlehem, you go through this huge checkpoint into a walled community. It's, it's all walled off. And I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever get over going into there. It feels like you're entering a prison. And it's, it's yeah, it's just, you go through soldiers, guards, and it's, and it's walled off. So many of you guys are living your Christian life like that. You're living your Christian life within a wall. This passage, Paul says, he vertically he tore down the wall of hostility. There's no more hostility hostility between us and God because Jesus took care of that on the cross. He removed your sin, he removed your shame, he removed your guilt, he removed your condemnation and replaced it with redemption and peace and joy. He replaced it with those things. So we have full access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. But then he also tore the dividing wall of hostility down between us, horizontally. So Think about this. Think about the truth of this. Think about the reality of this. Think about the power in this. If you have a wall of hostility between you and your family member, you and your coworker, you and your friend, you and anybody else, you and someone in this church, that's not of God. Jesus tore that down. That's not of God. It's either of you or of them, or of the enemy because Jesus says he tore that down. And now he's saying, our battle isn't against each other. So if I have an issue with Michelle, I shouldn't think just this way. I should think a little higher than that. The enemy's trying to work something in our relationship to create a dividing wall of hostility, a wall of hostility that Jesus Christ tore down. He's trying to work against the power of Christ. The good news is, he's powerless to do so. The bad news is, we give him the power to do so. You do it every day. You give them the power to lay bricks on that wall and you just let them do it. And so if your coworker gets angry at you, how about instead of saying, instead of getting offended and looking at them, say, God, what is the enemy trying to do here? This is an opportunity for me to show them the love of Christ instead of allow what they say to, to, to build a dividing wall of hostility between me and them. Next time you get in an argument with your spouse, Think in those terms. Next time you get in an argument with your, with your family members, think in those terms. Think about the rulers and the authorities that are behind this, the power of the enemy that is saying, yeah, into your mind, believe this lie. They don't think you're good enough. Yeah, they, they, they think they're better than you. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they think that um, you could never do that. Those are all lies of the enemy. And he uses them because he knows our weaknesses. Not because he knows our mind. Don't get scared. The enemy does not know your thoughts. But the enemy, demons, devil, they've been observing us since we were created. They don't have to. They can predict what we're going to do many times. And so don't let them speak those thoughts into our lives and don't believe those lies. So look at Paul in this passage, This passage here, going to the end of verse 13, he talks a lot about some big things. He uses a lot of big language. But I think it's because Paul has the telescope in the right way. And as we close, I want to I want to show you how to turn that telescope around. Because you may have yours in the wrong way. You may be looking through the small end, I mean through the big end, and I want you to, to turn it around because... The things that are far away from us are actually within our grasp. When Jesus comes on the scene, when he begins his ministry, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. He's like, here's the telescope. The kingdom of heaven is is right in front of you. He's like, I'm here, guys. It's not some foreboding, condemning statement. He's not saying, like like we have our preachers in the last century doing. He's not saying, repent. He's not yelling at us. He's saying, guys, what you've been waiting for, what you've been praying for, what you've been searching for all these years is finally here. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, don't be anxious. Stop worrying about things. The Lord is at hand. That's not a scary thing. He says, the Lord is within your grasp now. He's here, guys. The peace of God, you can actually grasp. It's at hand. What beautiful imagery that is. And so Paul, look at verse 7. Paul talks about some things here. And he says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. Like that's such a macro powerful statement that he is working by the power of the Lord. What's Paul talking about? Spiritual gifts. Turn your telescope around. We talk about spiritual gifts all summer, and you're like, yeah, yeah, spiritual gifts. That is the working of God's power in your life. That's God's influence in the macro. That's going to change your perspective this morning. Look at verse 8. He says, to me, I'm the very least of all saints. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What's Paul doing there? He's just sharing his faith. How does Paul view it? He views it as preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. How many of you talk about sharing your faith that way? Most of us say, uh, this is uncomfortable, I don't know, I don't know how to bring it up, Like, this is just weird. Paul says, no, you get to share the unsearchable riches of Christ. Turn your telescope around. You're seeing things too small in your life right now. God is giving, he's taking things that once we're far off, and he's bringing them close, he's making them large in our lives. And, and look at verse 9. Paul says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul is just saying, I'm hearing from God on this. We say this a lot around our church. What are you hearing from God? We talk about hearing and trusting and obeying the Lord. That's the marks of discipleship. It's, it's not biblical knowledge. It's not a program or anything like that. It's, it's just hearing God's voice, trusting and obeying it. That's what Paul's doing. He's like, I heard something from God, and I'm giving this light to everybody. How many of you guys just hold on to that light? God's given you something to give to others, and you've received it, and now you're hoarding it instead of giving it. I encourage you to give it today. So he says, he says here uh, oh, in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom, and he goes on, be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church. A lot of times when you guys think of church, you think of this. You think of a small group where you're doing a Bible study or you're, you're praying or you're listening to other people or you are, you're counseling people or you're giving advice or you're just sharing life in different ways and doing the one another's. Paul says that is the revelation of the manifold wisdom of God. He's trying to turn a t- telescope around this morning. You're seeing it too small. When you, when you give a word of encouragement to somebody, don't see it so small. It's a macro thing, not a micro thing. When you, when you pray for somebody, you're interceding on their behalf in the heavenlies. That's a macro thing, not a micro thing. Turn your telescope around and see it that way. See the power, the working of his power in your life this morning. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul is just talking about prayer. How many of you guys view prayer that way? You don't, because your telescope is the wrong way. God has given you boldness and access with confidence before the throne of the living God. And you see God so far away because your telescope is the wrong way. And what God has brought close to us, what Jesus has brought close to us, you have made far away. And here's the thing about a telescope, guys. When you look at it the other way, it doesn't just, it's not just a neutral thing. It takes something that you're supposed to magnify and it demagnifies it. And so, something that was supposed to be close isn't just not close, it's even further away. Stop doing that this morning. Paul says, Paul says We have boldness and access with confidence through prayer. And then he says, So I ask you, don't lose heart. This phrase is repeated uh, four, no, five, six times within the New Testament. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart in, in seeking good, do not lose heart in serving, do not lose heart here. Uh, in, in what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul talks about suffering and hardship as glory. He's turned his telescope around. He doesn't see suffering and hardship as, oh, I just have a hard life. Oh, why does God always do this to me? Which is a theologically inaccurate statement. Why, why did this happen in my life? Why did this happen? He says, no, this is all for glory. The word glory in, in Greek has this connotation of character. Like it is molding your character. It's actually the very essence of your character is glory. So we talk about God's glory. It's the very essence of his character. When Paul talks about your glory, it's the very essence of character. What is the essence of your character this morning? When suffering and hardship comes, what does your life look like? Now reveal what your glory is. Most of us, our glory is, is not very pretty to look at. Turn your telescope around this morning and let God give you a new perspective. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is in your hands this morning. You have the tool. You have the ability. Choose it. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, the cross has... Uh, Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between you and God between you and others, and he's given you the ability to, he's given you the gift of that telescope. He's given you forgiveness of sin. He's given you uh, power in Christ. He's he's redeemed you. He's set you free. You're no longer shackled to sin. You're shackled to the Savior in freedom. He's given you new life. He's made you a new creation. He's, He's taken your seat from here on earth or below, and placed you in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Walk forward in that this morning. And so, now as we go into communion, I want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, before you come up, just say this. Just say to the Lord, turn my telescope around. I don't know, say to God, I don't know what I need it in, or maybe you know exactly what you need it in, but Turn it around for me and help me see as you see. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, invite Christ into your life, if, if you want, and say, yes, I, I want what we're talking about this morning. I want to walk forward in that. I want to walk forward in that type of faith and obedience. I want to walk forward in that type of life. And so uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you because it represents Christ's body and blood broken for us. Uh, Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And you are remembering that today. You are celebrating it. You're walking forward in it. And and maybe today will be the first time that you do this as a follower of Jesus. So I invite you as well um, if this is your first time. But if you're not, feel free to refrain and to sit and observe the body of Christ and, and the church being the church. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for your Everything, I don't even know where to start. Um, I love you, Jesus. And thank you for showing us your love. God, just, I don't know why we don't choose it. So I wanna say this morning that I choose your love, I choose your joy, I choose your peace, I choose your forgiveness, I choose you, Jesus, and all those other things that you bring and that belong to you, your righteousness and your redemption and your salvation. Make us a people that choose those things daily and say yes to you. Thank you that you're willing and obedient in sacrificing yourself for us. Make us into living sacrifices that do the same for our world, for your glory and your namesake. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.